Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host. And I'm your co-host, Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey Sheridan Boise. That's all you got to say. This guy. I mean, that's all you got to say. The guy is a genius. <laughs> He's got the accent. Everyone needs to listen to this episode, this interview right now. When I found out that he was just a few miles down the road from the pub that the Inklings, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, some yes. of the other you know prolific writers of that day, where they often met and they talked about really deep theological things. I was like, Sheridan, you are living the life that I want. He's living the life. You know what he didn't say though? This surprised me. So that pub is called the Eagle and Child, but what the Inklings called it was the bird and baby. And I thought he was going to throw that like little tidbit out and he didn't. So, (laughs) so there Sheridan. Well, I'm going to do a shameless plug for our Israel trip in 2021. So we're taking a nothing is wasted Israel trip 2021. And what I've told Christy already is that we're going to spend a couple of days on the f- way over there. We're going to fly into London and just go and visit Sheridan for a couple of days so he can take us around. Wait, I, I want to go. That's amazing. You and Kevin should absolutely come with us. It would be so much fun. So much fun. We're just going to stay and hang out with Sheridan. And uh, <laughs> the you reality guys can is, go on here's to the reality. Israel. The reality is, is my, Christy and Kevin would probably be begging us to go and find adventure somewhere. You and I would just want to sit in that pub with Sheridan the whole that's time. That's so true. And, and read talk books about books and, and, and projects. <laughs> and, that's right. That's oh, right. Man. Well, Sheridan talks about this unique perspective of a man's mm-hmm. journey through infertility. And uh, it's, he's got a lot of insight into it. And, and kind of speaking of him living the life that I want, he also opens up this topic of what happens how do we react when other people get what you want? Yeah, I think this is a topic that every human being on the planet has to wrestle with at some point in their lives. Yep. Whether you're, you know, a small kid and your brother has something you want, yep. or your sister has something you want, or you're an adult and you watch really some heartbreaking things where, yeah. you know, someone gets married and you want to get married or someone gets to have a baby like in Sheridan's story and you don't get to have a baby. And yeah. what do you do in situations like that? It's a very human question, isn't it? Yeah, it is a very human question. And I am, I want to, I concur with you. I do not think anybody, any honest self-reflecting person will walk through the, the human experience without having that moment, without recognizing right whoa, I really desire what that other person has. And this is not like, this is not necessarily comparing yourself to other people in the sense of, you know, oh, I, you know, this person, this person, uh, I don't know, uh, received this promotion. Now I want to try to attain that particular or a better promotion yeah. so I can kind of flaunt that and, you know, kind of comparison to, uh, or in competition of that. Yeah, other it's person. a little bit different than like a keeping up with the Joneses exactly. type of thing. This yeah. is this, this is things where you. This is part of like your heart, deepest heart's desires, your mm-hmm. dreams, and you watch somebody in your life. They get that either yeah. before you receive that, or you know, for all you can tell, that they they receive that, and you're never going to. 
And how especially difficult when you're a follower of God and you maybe believe that God has even told you this dream yeah. would come true or yeah. or you just know in your heart of hearts that you've been created for this thing. And then to watch someone who isn't a follower yeah. of God, this dream comes to for them. Those are painful questions. And yeah. scripture talks about a lot, like why do the wicked prosper, but the godly people are perishing. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah. Yeah. Again, these are these are some of those real heart moments where we're real with God. Like, okay, God, do I do I trust that what you have for me yeah. is more than enough? Yeah. Do I trust that you and you alone are right. more than enough? Whether or not I ever get this thing that I want, that that you're all I need ultimately. I I remember the first time I really wrestled with this, and this is going to sound trite in comparison to kind of some of the other big topics that we're talking about, but it for you know as a what 18 year old wrestling with this, it's felt like a big deal. You know, baseball mm -hmm. was a big thing for me. I was right. in a state tournament, but there was a friend of mine on the team who had also an equally uh, amazing tournament. And he was a senior going to be a freshman in college and he received the tournament tournament MVP. He received that. And it was, it was heart wrenching for me because there are college scouts that are there. And so you're thinking, man, this seals the deal on these college, if I get tournament MVP, these scouts are going to be looking at me. And I remember wrestling with that, being disappointed. And I remember my dad telling me, he said, Davey, I have, I, I, I'm proud of you for the tournament that you had. And he re reminded me of two things. He said, remember that we do this not for man's glory or praise or applause. We do this as if we're serving the Lord. And then also, okay. he said, I've always prayed that God would keep you oh. enough out of the spotlight that you would remember um, yeah. that you would, that you'd always stay humble and that you would remember right. who, who is at work in and through you. And I remember being like, I'm, I don't like that. <laughs> Please don't pray that for me. That's not the prayer dad. That I right. Want. <laughs> but what that, what that over the next several years as I wrestled with that, for, cause that was, that was marking for me. That was very, it stuck with me with that, what he said. As yeah. I wrestle with that, I, I remember thinking, man, I think that there are times where, where God will, um, sometimes he will intentionally withhold mm -hmm. to reveal certain aspects of our heart and motivations yep. around our heart. And this is, this is some of the painful, difficult things to wrestle with to go, man, God who wants good and great things for us, he would, he would intentionally withhold from us in certain areas so that it would reveal something about our hearts so that we yep. can become more and more like him and reflect his glory and his nature. And then I heard Crawford Loritz, who's a pastor in Atlanta, say this one thing that just began to free me in this. He said, no mortal man can steal from you what God has intended for you. Mm, say that one more time. No mortal man can steal from you what God has intended for you. In other words, if other wow. people receive something, that does not necessarily mean that you're not going to receive it. Mm. But if God has not brought it into your life yet, there is a reason for it. Whatever God has intended for your life, no one can stop. That's good. So no one else receiving it can... It's not like there is this pie, so to speak, yes, right, where it's like, right. oh no, that went to that person. And now there's less now left there's for, not me. Enough for me. Or I, yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. God's got a plan for you and it can be it can trusted. It's so easy to like be in that scarcity mindset yeah. sometimes though, can it? And so, forget like, so no, so. we have an abundant God. We have an open-handed God. We have a good God who yeah. 
loves to bless his children with good gifts. Right. Sometimes, like in Sheridan's situation, it doesn't always look the way that we want it to. And then there's grief and then there's pain, but also there's an invitation. Yeah. Right? Like there always exactly. is with God into deeper intimacy deeper understanding of who he is and his love for us. And and really what we're talking about here is we're talking about contentment, finding contentment Mm. in all things, in all seasons, as Paul talks about, he says, Hey, I knew what poverty was. I knew what abundance was. And yet in all these seasons, I found contentment. And I really do believe Aubrey, this isn't easy, but I do believe that the portal to contentment, like kind of the antidote to this whole comparison thing as as, 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 as big of issues as we're talking about, or as trite of issues that we're talking about is celebrating when someone else receives what you want. Oh yeah. That's such a good reminder. When we celebrate it. When we celebrate other people's successes, when we celebrate other people's promotions. We celebrate other people, you know, when they're, when they're having a baby and yet it looks like that we're not able to, or, you know, yeah. there's something about that that breaks this grip of discontentment on our lives. I do think too, sometimes that, um, that celebration, you have to also say, okay, Lord, I want to celebrate this right now, (laughs) but you got to help me do it in your perfect timing. And sometimes I think it's okay to fake it till you make it, right? Right. But also sometimes you you do want it to be a sincere celebration. And so in time, just be like, Lord, I oh, I can't celebrate now, but would you help me get there? And I, I love that you said celebration and not just gratitude or thankfulness. Cause yeah. sometimes we could be like, well, just make a thankfulness list and count your blessings. But right. you're saying like, let's get intentional to celebrate the goodness of God in someone else's life and right. how that might reorient your heart to the worship of God. I think that's such a great lesson. And, and to your point, that's inside out, right? That's, that's like, right. how do I celebrate that inside? How do I inside yeah. in my heart go, man, I'm so excited for them. I'm, pr- I'm like, proud of them. I'm, happy yeah. for them. How do I get my heart to be there? And and really the Lord is the only one that can get our hearts to be there. Yeah. And it comes from trusting that what God has brought to us is for our good and what yeah. he has withheld is also for our good. So these are some whew. of the things that Sheridan talks about in your conversation with him. Um, he talks about, you know, when dreams are deferred and he talks a lot about trusting the Lord's work of, you know, uh, reminding us that our identity, no matter what, is in Him. So let's go ahead and take a little listen to your conversation with Sheridan Boise. Well, Sheridan, it's so great to have you on the podcast with me. Thanks for joining me. Hey, it's a privilege to join you, Davey. Thank you. All the way from the UK. And uh, I wish yep. we could do this in person because if we had arranged that, I would have gotten on a plane, if COVID wasn't going on, gotten on a plane and come out to you and just use as an excuse to to hang out in Europe for a little bit. <laughs> and I would see, I'm in Oxford and I would have taken you oh, to the Eagle and Child pub where wow. C.S. Lewis, J.R. <sighs> Tolkien, uh, Hugo Dyson, all the greats used to sit on a Thursday afternoon, have a pint and talk about their work. Wow. Sheridan, we have just become best <laughs> friends. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I think my uh like everything about all of the the fantasy of where what I would love to do just was wrapped up in one explanation right there with you <laughs> with what you said we could <laughs> be doing Oxford, right now. Oxford is that city because oh. you know it's a huge history in terms of the church. Yeah. Uh you had um 
you had John Wesley right. and Charles Wesley. Well, you know, I grew up Wesley, so of course we heard, we learned the history of, of John Wesley. And so of course yeah. Oxford, when I hear Oxford, that's what I think of as John Wesley. Yeah, right. Well, there's little plaques around on the walls saying John Wesley, you know, preached in one of his first sermons here. And in, you know, St. Mary's Church in the High Street, that's where he got kicked out of the Anglican Church, yep. you know. So anyway, yep. we could we could do a little tour. Wow. Well, that would be amazing. I'm going to hold you to that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we can go and we can sit in that pub and we can talk about life and we can talk about all the things that happen when life doesn't go the way that you planned it to go, which is what we're going to talk about right now um, before we kind of dive into that because I'm really I'm just uh, I'm intrigued um, with with the, the things that you're writing and the things that you're speaking about because it really is the, the the impetus of our ministry and our podcast is to try to help people understand purpose that comes out of their pain and this is what you are talking about through some life experiences but before we dive into that I'd love to hear just a little bit about you other than the fact that you're living in one of the coolest places in the world. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your family and just kind of what you do. Yeah, well, you might hear from the accent that, you know, it, it's not quite an English accent. I was actually born in Australia. So I spent uh, a good 30 odd years in Brisbane. Uh, we had, then Merritt and I got married and we moved to Perth in Western Australia, had six and a half years over there. I was in radio, so I was hosting radio show there. Uh, then we moved to Sydney. I started a national radio show out of Sydney called Open House. Um, and then in 2011, we moved here to the United Kingdom for Merrin, my wife, to uh, take up a job at Oxford University, which is another kind of cool thing to just oh, drop. Yeah. And, oh, my wife Seriously. works for Oxford <laughs> University. That's kind of, kind of cool. That's a great party conversation um, right there. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And so my, my life is really uh, writing, writing books, uh, speaking at events, and the broadcasting since I moved to the UK, and we'll talk about the reasons why in just a second, has kind of flipped around. So it used to be the dominant thing. It's now kind of the third out of those three. Uh, but I get to do it in some really cool places. So I've kind of swapped the other to the other side of the desk, really. So yeah. these days, I'm able to go and um, would you would you believe this that the, the the largest BBC radio network here in the in United Kingdom it's BBC Radio Two, mm-hmm. fourteen million listeners a week, nine million of them in breakfast. They still have a god spot basically. Really, and so every week, every two weeks, I get to go in there and be a committed Christian, go in and give a little two minute god spot. Um, wow. So I don't have the three hour radio show I used to have, but I do get a few minutes to speak to a particular audience about wow. Christian things. And that is where I feel I'm called to be. Man, that's amazing. What a platform. What, what a place to be able to speak into um, what, you know, a lot of people would say, even a, a nation that has, you know, begun to kind of squeeze God out of the equation, you know, for years, even though oh. that was where, like what we, you've already mentioned, so much of the awakening, um, you know, took place. It was right there in the heart of, of Oxford and Oxford and, uh, and where you're living, but what a cool place for you to be doing ministry and a cool setting to do that. Britain is a strange, strange place in the sense that it is very post-Christian. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, because of it having such a prime role in yep. Christendom, if you mm-hmm. like, you've still got the vestiges of Christianity everywhere. And right. So you've got the cathedrals and you've still got, especially during COVID, uh, local BBC radio stations have been broadcasting church services and things, which you wow. haven't had for years. So you still have that, but it's kind of, it's, it's fairly traditional. Um, so you have this kind of in, strange intermingling of those two things, post-Christendom and Christendom together. 
Mm. Well, you know, Sheridan, you, um, you, you've been a writer for a long time. You've published, you know, many, many, many articles you've written, you can, you write pretty regularly for, uh, daily bread, which is, you know, a massive, uh, publication. And, um, and, and you've written a couple of books here recently, uh, one last year called the making of us. And, uh, previous to that, you wrote resurrection year and it all kind of centers around this journey that you guys have been on over the past, what, probably 20 years or so. Um, why don't you kind of take us back? Cause specifically it, it, some of it surrounds this battle that you and your wife had with infertility and some of the stuff that God began to do in, to, in shaping both of you. And then, you know, through you in that. And uh, one of the things we say a lot is that God wants to do something powerful and incredible through you, but before he can do something through you, he has to do something in you. And so I'd love to just hear your story on that. So why don't you take us back kind of where you would say that began and uh, walk us on that journey. It began in the year 2000 in our kitchen in the house that we were staying at at the time. And it was a conversation between Marin and I, and she said, honey, I think it's time. And I said, time for what? And she said, time we started a family. And I said, what, right now? Fantastic, let's go. <laughs> and, you, know, you know, we were married by then about five years and it was the right time to yeah. start a family. And like any couple who makes that decision, from that day on, every 28 days, you're looking for signs of success. Mm-hmm. And like many couples, the first month comes and there is expectation that's followed by disappointment. That's common. Mm-hmm. And then the next month comes and you're all excited again. There's expectation. And then it came with disappointment. Well, that's quite common. And then for many couples, of course, the third month, maybe the fourth, there's expectation and then there's excitement. Yeah. Well, for us, the pattern went expectation, disappointment, expectation, disappointment for nine months. And then we went and got some tests done. Those tests revealed there was a significant problem uh, on my side and that without either a divine miracle or some sort of technological assistance, our dreamt of child was going to be very difficult to have. Mm. So that, Davey, was the beginning of what would become a 10-year journey for us trying to start a family. We wow. tried healing prayer. We're committed Christians. And we were you know, very much ready for God to, to do a, a miracle in our life. That never happened. We tried special diets. We tried special supplements. Mm. We tried chiropractic. And to this day, I do not know why we tried chiropractic, but somebody thought that might work. Um, We tried IVF. We tried IVF for the first time in 2006 after I'd spent kind of a couple of years trying to work out the the ethics of it. Should Christians be using IVF, right? It's one one thing to have the tool, another thing as to whether we should be using it, whether any life is lost in the process. Uh, we then went in 2007, 2008, we started looking into adoption. We went through eight months of assessment to see if we were suitable people to look after somebody else's biological child. Uh, We were cleared, we were welcomed, and then we waited for the phone call. And we waited for nearly two years for the phone call to come and say, come and collect your little boy, little girl. The phone call never came. Uh, due to uh, policies on confidentiality and things, we were never told why. Mm. Was it something in us that birth mothers were looking, reading our profile and saying, well, we don't like the fact they're Christians? Or we didn't know. We never knew. Was it just simply the fact that very few children were actually coming through the system? Yeah. Um, so we never knew about that. 
By 2010, Merrin was just in a really bad place. We'd been waiting a long time. We had discovered the truth of Proverbs 13, 12, which says, and many of our listeners will probably know it by heart, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now that is true. Hope can be a burdensome thing. It can pick apart at your being when you keep on hoping every month and you've got year after year of that happening. You don't want to hope anymore. Uh, We decided then that we would jump out of the adoption route and we would go and do as many IVF rounds as it took. Long story short, we got to December of 2010. We had one embryo left to transfer. By that stage, we were just exhausted. We were done. Merrin's faith was pretty bad, in a pretty bad shape. Um, We decided this embryo was our last shot. Mm. After this, we would move on as a childless couple. The embryo was transferred. And would you believe it? We received a phone call from the IVF clinic saying, it's looking good. And remember Merrin saying, what, what do you mean good? Is it, is it, is it good or is it good? <laughs> you know, what do you mean? And the nurse said, all of your hormone levels are exactly where we'd expect them to be right now for a pregnancy. Mm. So you can imagine the jubilation that erupted amongst right. our family and friends that have been walking with us for a decade now. And then on Christmas Eve, we got a phone call from the same nurse from the same IVF clinic. And she said to Merrin, I'm so, so sorry. It had turned out that the IVF drugs had created a gestational sac, but there was no baby in the sac. And with that, she put the phone down, walked into our bedroom, curled up in a fetal position, and that's where the dream of a child ended. And that was the worst day. I can't think of a, of a worse time in our life. Yeah. Uh, and yet that was the beginning of us being able to grieve and move on. Mm. So we packed up our bags. We were in Brisbane at the time seeing family. We Christmas Eve, <laughs> we packed up the, the car. We started driving 13 hours back to Sydney where wow. we were living. Uh, can you believe it? We were driving down trying to find a bed for the night and there were no rooms left in the inns. <laughs> this is Christmas Eve. Wow. And uh, anyway, we finally got our way back to Sydney and that's where we kind of licked our wounds and started again. Wow. You know, Sheridan, I, I can't imagine, you know, over 10 years, you just feeling uh, the, the, kind of this inner battle going on inside of you. You know, as, as you explained, you found out that it was really uh, the, the, the reason for your infertility, it looked like was something that, you know, was a result of, of a problem with you and your, and, and, and so, you know, I think about all the, the complex emotions that must have surrounded you at that time as you're, you know, the one, the, the expectation, the disappointment, the expectation, the disappointment, the hoping in a God that can take a, an impossible situation and reverse it, right? We've, we know that. We've seen that in so many different, not just biblical instances, but modern-day instances as well. I and mean, you can perform a miracle. So putting your hope in that, but continually it getting deferred, as you, as you say, as Proverbs talks about, and then trying to help encourage your wife as well. You know, I, I know as a, as a husband, one of the things I think about as well is, okay, how are my, how's my wife and my kids, how are they trusting in the Lord? What's their faith look like right now? Are they, 
are they strong in their faith right now? Are they resilient in their faith right now? Or is it something that's waning? And, and I feel a responsibility for that, whether I should or I shouldn't, I, uh, you know, I, we could, we could talk about for, for hours, I'm sure, but, but I do. And I, and I, and I feel a burden for it. And so I imagine all of those things going on. Can you just kind of like pick apart a little bit of that inner battle that you were feeling in those in those 10 years? I know that's a lot, but... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it really wasn't in a battle. And uh, there were times during that 10 years where I just didn't have the language to mm. be able to express what I was feeling because it was this deep disappointment in God not coming through for us. And at the same time, I didn't have any sense in which I was about to leave my faith or, you know, stop believing. I... Yeah. I Thought that there was still way too much evidence that there was a good and loving creator out there. The hard part was hearing other people get their answers. Mm. Was when other people, after they prayed, they got the miracle birth. Yeah. <laughs> when other people got, you know, the lifting of the the circumstances that were right. holding them back. When they got the miracle, that was the hard bit, because it was just like, okay, what's going on? And I'll tell you this, Dave, um, I think there is two ways that we can respond to those kinds of circumstances. One is you kind of shake your fist at God and say, God, why aren't you coming through? And that was really what Marin would say was her response. And so she turned very cold against God. Mm. The other one was, uh, the other kind of approach is you kind of say, well, you know, God's good and all perfect, so it can't be God, it must be me. Mm. And so that's where I went. It's just like, I mustn't have enough faith. I mustn't be filled with the Spirit enough. Um, I mustn't be stepping out. There must be some sort of disobedience. Mm. Both ways turn out to be quite damaging. Yeah. And so I had to really wrestle through that a little bit and just in the end um, just simply uh, acknowledge that we had done our best. We had prayed as much as we could. We had other people praying for us um, that we had to in the end say, you know what, we're going to, ultimately just leave it into the hands of God. And I, w- I will be quick to say, Davey, that that doesn't mean that even now, a few years later, we now know the reason why we were never given children. Yeah. Because we hear of horrible stories in the news all the time where you hear of parents that abuse their children or ignore them or neglect them. And you kind of go, we would have been exactly. better than them. Yeah. Mm. Now, we have seen God do amazing things through our story, things that would never otherwise have come about. Mm. And you could say that's part of part of the reason. But, you know, it's I'm very conscious of not letting our listener take away this idea that, oh, if something good comes out of it, then it was all worth it. Sometimes it's not, is right. it? You, you know that. It's not as, it's not as clear cut like that. Yeah, you can't reduce right. the goodness of God and even the redemption of God into, you know, okay, well, you know, uh, uh, A cancels out B. It doesn't. Right. Exactly. Um, we can't, we can't. And sometimes I think some people hear that message yeah. and you say, oh, you know, oh, well, it's kind of like when, when some people talk to couples that have miscarried yeah. and then maybe later on they're able to have a child and they say, oh, well, then it's all fine. Mm-hmm. No, we still miscarried. We right. have still lost a child. Another child doesn't replace the child. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We always try to encourage people to use the language of and, not but. That's good. You know, because but kind of tends to cancel out. It's like, well, this thing happened, but, you know, God's good or God did this. And it, it's like, no, no, you can hold both of those in tension. You can hold yeah. both of those and they both still be true. And, and, and one hurt and one is full of elation and you can live with those emotions in tandem. 
it's okay. Right. You know, um, and God's big enough to hold all of it. Uh, how, you know, you, you, I, I, something struck me. You said that moment where, you know, your wife curled up in a fetal position. It was the worst day of your life. And here I am going to use that and language. And it was also the moment that became kind of a, a turning point for you guys as well, where you were able to, and you recognize now in retrospect, you were able to, to grieve and start moving forward. Um, I'm sure at that time you weren't really thinking with that kind of clarity by any means. Uh, so what did the next, you know, couple months or next couple of years after that look like as you were trying to figure out how to kind of move forward? Yeah. So one of the big aspects of infertility in particular is that it's a, it's, it's a death without a funeral. Mm. You never seem to be able to have closure because of course, every month rolls on and rolls on and rolls on. And you have these little deaths every month and yet there's never closure to it. And one of the toughest things for a couple that has maybe kind of gone through this journey for several years and they're trying to work out when, when do we call that a day Mm. um, is to try and work that out because you don't have anything natural that steps in, in the rest in everything else in life you can have something kind of step in and draw the line for you, if you like. Mm. Um, now, it might be menopause in this case that steps in and then you know that it's done. Um, but other, apart from that, it, there really isn't anything else. You have to draw the line yourself. Mm. And if you don't draw the line, then you can't grieve. So you actually have to put it to death, if you like. You have to, you have, wow. to have your own funeral yeah. so that you can grieve, so that you can move on to the next thing that God has for you. And I think what we realized as we went back to Sydney, spent a couple of weeks just licking our wounds before we even emailed or talked to anybody, um, we were realizing actually this was the growth period. This was the, the, the grief was happening. And in fact, a good deal of grief had already happened before that point. Mm. And so we were almost just did a little bit of a catch-up grieving during, during that time. And then it would have been uh, probably about a week in or a week and a half in where sitting a little balcony of our two-bedroom unit in Sydney and, you know, talking about the future and, and just starting to dream again mm. and saying, okay, now that we're just kind of going to move on as a childless couple, well, well what now? And, and funnily enough, Davey, that actually is when a second problem stepped in really because the only thing that Merrin had really wanted to do, apart from become a mum, was to live and work overseas. Hmm. And so this one day we were talking about the future and, and she was saying, you know, I, I think, I think I'd, I'd like to start again. I said, okay, start again. That's a good idea. Yeah, I think I'd like to start again overseas. Overseas. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd like to start again overseas in Europe. <laughs> in Europe? The place is bankrupt. <laughs> and life is going really well for me. Hmm. Sydney was my place. I only got to live in Sydney for five years and yet I found my home. I love Sydney. The national radio show I was hosting. It was a 10-year dream itself come true. Wow. It was doing so well. It's a very unique show. There really wasn't anything like it really anywhere else. I had publishing opportunities. I had speaking opportunities. Got to speak to members and senators at Australia's Parliament House, those kinds of things. And I knew enough about this world mm. that if I was to up and move over to another country, all of that would go and I would have no platform in the United Kingdom. 
No would nobody would be asking me to speak at right. their events. No publishers would be interested in publishing my books because nobody knows who I am. As horrible as, it, as that sounds, that's exactly how the industry works. Uh, and so it would be a starting again moment all at once. And so mm. that kind of, for me personally, that kind of led to a, a second crisis really as to whether I would let go of these fulfilled dreams so that Neuron could start again. Hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting as you're, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about, I see this happen so many times. I wonder if you have any commentary on it or if you've, you know, if you've, if you've tried to pick it apart at all, but there's so many times where things seem to be going so well in many categories of our life in many aspects of our life. And yet there's this like, you know, something horrific that is happening over in this other category that seems to interplay with those, right. Or sometimes be at odd with those, uh, as well. Do you, have you thought about that at all as, as like, a maybe, a, as you're thinking about, well, wonder why this is from the standpoint of what does this do in us when we have these competing, you know, what part of my life seems to be just absolutely excelling and up and to the right. And the other part of my life just seems to be completely crumbling right here. How do I reconcile the two of them? Why are they happening all at the same time? Why is one competing against the other? Have you thought about that? I don't, I don't know. I just, I see that happen as a pattern almost that it makes me, anytime I see patterns, I go, there's gotta be something to that. That's interesting. No, I haven't, I haven't noticed the pattern in other people a lot. So yeah. you might be picking up on something that you need to follow through there. Um, I mean, the fact is that it's very rare for most categories in our life, most domains, to be swimming perfectly right. in, at every moment, isn't there? Right as we speak to you right now, my father has pancreatic cancer. You know, my mum needs full-time care and he has been her, her carer, you know. So we've got big issues that we're facing with my parents right, right now. Um, even though things in our life are, are going relatively very, very well. Um, it's a broken world, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we are we are not in a new creation yet. And I think we have to recognize that this is the path. And sometimes the path is rocky. And sometimes, yes, we're we're carrying along some wonderful discoveries as we walk. But then, unfortunately, there's going to be a turn and there there will be some prickles that we have to wade our way through. Yeah. Hey friends, Davey here. I have a question for you. Do you have a heart for helping other people navigate their personal trauma, tragedies, or major life transitions? If you do, keep listening because whether or not you feel like you have the means or resources or the proper training, you can help others take back their story. And here's how. If you have a home church that you attend, we would love to partner with you to bring the Pain to Purpose course to your church. That's right. I'm talking to you. You don't have to be a pastor or a counselor or a minister of any kind. All you have to have is a heart for other people and a willingness to walk with them on their journey. I've been on the phone this week with multiple pastors who want to launch the Pain to Purpose course in their spiritual community, but they're struggling to find the right facilitator to guide the group discussions. I wonder if your church would launch the course in a heartbeat. If someone like you approached them with both information about the course and the commitment to help launch and facilitate it. I realize this this is a big ask, but this could very well be part of the purpose and mission you're looking for on the other side of your own valley. 
One of the things we say a lot at Nothing Is Wasted is that your redemption story begins when you take your pain and turn it around by helping others in theirs. And this is a perfect opportunity to begin that redemption journey. You could be the pioneer behind a major healing movement at your church by launching the Pain to Purpose course, and we want to show you how. We've wrapped this course into an easy-to-implement package. Our team will walk beside you, train you, and equip you with everything you need to be our pain-to-purpose guide at your local church. If you're interested in partnering with us to bring the pain-to-purpose course to your church, we will help you with everything from how to approach your pastors, to what to say to them, and even how to get them excited for the course. You'll be able to tell your pastor that it shouldn't take any additional time or effort on his or her part. All you have to do right now is this. Text COURSE to 66866. Again, that's C-O-U-R-S-E, COURSE to 66866. Pull out your phone right now and text that number. And as an added bonus, if you help us get the course launched at your church, we'll give you your choice of either free access to the Nothing Is Wasted partner program for an entire year or two free coaching sessions with one of our certified guides. Again, just text COURSE to 66866 and let's start a healing movement together. You know, I'm going to incite you a little bit, Sheridan, because I think you can, I think you can handle it. I'm feeling like you've got do the, the uh, capacity to do this. Um, some might sit here and, and they were in your situation and they're seeing everything else go swimmingly well in their life. And yet this one category that seemingly God could change just like that. And as you've already said, he did for so many other people that you were, I mean, I'm sure over 10 years, you saw a lot, you did, you, you expressed that you saw a lot of people who they got their miracle. As you began to try to wrestle with God about those, like, why questions, what were you hearing from him? <laughs> Absolute silence. Here is another part of our story, which doesn't often get told, so I'm glad you've prompted it. So we would have times in our spiritual journey during that 10 years where it felt like the heavens opened and God gave really clear direction about some other aspect mm -hmm. of our life. For instance, moving from Brisbane to Perth. For instance, moving from Perth to Sydney and starting the Open House radio show. I had really clear direction on that. In fact, you know, I'd, I'd had this sense in which God wanted to do something yeah. like that for some years. And then it came so clearly, this was the time, This and, and so we went. And other times, I remember a couple of retreats where it felt like the heavens opened and God was, you know, clarifying some things for me and putting some things in place and recalibrating my life, even a couple of times where I felt like he'd given me some words for other people, mm. writing those down. Okay, right, so now I've got your attention, God. Just this little matter about the family. <laughs> now, that, little now that we're sitting here at this pub in Oxford and we're sharing a pint together, can I ask you this question? <laughs> and the conversation seems to be flowing well. I would just like a real clear answer because here's the thing. We would have found it difficult, but we would have found it a mercy to have heard God say, no, mm. this is not my plan for you. Mm. Uh, I want you to get used to that and I want you to move on in life. That would have been a mercy, particularly towards the end of our journey. Yeah. But here's the thing. Whenever those prayer times happened, 
on this particular issue, complete utter silence, to the point where there was one time, again, towards the end of the journey, where um, our pastor and his wife gathered a group of people in a room to pray for us about this particular thing. But she did it in a really interesting way. She didn't tell the, 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 the intercessors what we were all there to pray for. Wow. So what we were really looking for was that yes or that no. Do we keep on going in this journey or do, or do we not? Yeah, that would have been so, easy, clear, like as you were talking about that line of demarcation. You know, that line being drawn, that would have been an easy, clear line. Okay, cool. Right. Now we can move if on. God says no, right, yep. we can draw the line. Cool. It's going to hurt, but we can then right. move on. So she didn't tell them. So the first half of the night, um, she just kind of, you know, let them pray for us as they felt led by the Holy Spirit. Mm. And some of them were praying and really kind of one said, yeah, look, I just really feel like I should pray for Marin. I should pray for your heart. Uh, I really feel like I should pray for your womb, you know, and just really kind of going around here. And it felt mm. like the Spirit was leading them. And then stopped halfway. And then we shared what particularly we were, we were really seeking God as an answer for. And so then we said, right, okay, everybody started praying again. 15 minutes passed. Everybody was silent. 20 minutes passed. Complete and utter silence. Wow. God, either to us personally or even in a corporate setting like that, had chosen to remain silent on this one issue. And here's where I've thought this through, Davey. I think that if God is who he is, if he's who the scriptures say he is, if, he, if, if he's who we believe him to be, we have to give him that right. Mm. We have to give him that right to remain silent on some things in our lives. It's kind of that kind of demanding thing of, you know, oh, I must have the answer. I really must have you come through for me on this. I need to know the clarity. Well, actually, sometimes he has the right to say, I'm just going to stay quiet on this. You may mm. never know the reason. There might be very good reasons for our sake that he stayed quiet. Right. I don't know. Right. But he, to this day, has stayed quiet as to why we never got the child. Uh, and is that not really the call of maturity yeah. that we as followers of Christ would allow him that yeah. and allow him that domain and say, yep, you have absolutely every right to stay quiet on this because it's not that you know I own you, you own me, yeah. uh, and I know you love me. It's a loving relationship, right. and uh, we're going to walk with you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so true. That's exactly what you said. This is the, that's the ultimate journey of maturity and trust and submission to go. I don't know the answer. Not sure if I ever will know the answer, but I'm still choosing to trust that whatever the answer is, if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me. And I don't have to hear it. You know, it's like when I, when I tell my kids, the thing I said, I would never tell my kids. And that is, um, you just, just do as I say, because you're not going to understand my reasoning. You know, I swear I'd never tell my kids that. And I tell them all the time because now that I'm a parent, I, I, I recognize what my dad recognized. And that is, there's some things that I'm not going to be able to explain. You're just not going to understand. That's okay. I'm going to get it. That's okay. But you'll, you'll get it one day. You'll understand one day, you know, and we, and that's the reality of what we live in is that one day, though we see things dimly, we're going to see things very, very clearly when we see him face to face. And that's the, that finally that hope, you know, that faith becomes sight. Um, and it's no right. longer deferred. It's, you know, so you guys were kind of working through a lot of this grieving and you began, you know, um, stirring up the, well, God began stirring up inside of you a lot of, uh, 
like as we were, as we referred earlier, he was doing a lot in you. And this is kind of what you wrote the most recent book on is this making of us, this like what, what results, you know, in some of the hardest seasons of our life. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you guys begin to uncover as you begin to peel back some of the layers of that, the wounds that were going on from, you know, this infertility. Just so important. So our story of that 10-year journey is told in a book called Resurrection Year. And so that's really about how do you start again after a broken dream? Right. When everything you've built your life on, you know, we've all got dreams. It's part of being human. Um, but when they don't come to pass, you know, what happens then? Yeah. What happened as a result of that book, which just opened up so many doors for me, I didn't want to write that book. It was so different. Mm. The show that I was hosting was very much an apologetics show. That's my kind of thing. Isn't that Cultural funny that God has you write the book that you would never want to write? I, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely assuming this right now, but I feel a kindred spirit in you. Um, the, the book I wanted to write was all about the, the success of ministry that I had. <laughs> that's the book I wanted to write. You know, that's the one that's like, I saw, I even wrote that in the introduction of my book and nothing is wasted. It was like, I, I always wanted to write a book. It was always a dream, right? Dream to write many yeah. books, yeah. but this is not what I wanted to write. Right. And right. it's interesting how God, he, he, uh, you know, it's even, it sounds like a reductionist thing to say God does that, you know, but that's, that's kind of the way it works. Oh, I just, I, I haven't, I heard somebody say somewhere about he takes the weak things to the world to yeah. <laughs> despise the foolish. You know, it's the small things, isn't it? It's the broken yeah. things. It's the things where it turns out that actually his greatest power comes through, you know, the kind of the, the roughest, grittiest channels. Mm. Um, so you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I didn't want to go public on having a low sperm count. I mean, that's not, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't my brand. That wasn't what I wanted to do. And yet in being vulnerable about that and talking about that, it did a number of things. Number one, it connected with a whole bunch of childless couples mm. for whom they said, we, we, we've suddenly been given language for our journey. Wow. It connected with childless men who are too ashamed mm. to come forward and speak publicly about this, even if they're not the biological cause mm. of their infertility. This is such a key thing. And there may well be some guys listening to us now. Almost certainly there will be some um, couples yeah. listening to us of right. which one member is wrestling with this. Number one, it's very, very common. So don't feel ashamed. Um, uh, number two, uh, particularly for the guy, this area is so connected with our masculinity in our culture mm. that uh, it's that's half the reason why it's so difficult for a guy to be public about the fact that, you know, I, 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 I can't conceive a child, you know. It's so built up over generations that this is almost the ultimate mark yeah. of manhood. Right. Uh, now, when you look in the New Testament, the ultimate mark of manhood is not to sire a child. Mm. The ultimate mark of manhood is to grow into the image and likeness of Christ. That's right. And so actually in being vulnerable, what you'll find is if you're able to do that, you'll find healing for yourself and you'll actually give permission for other men to, in time, mm. to be able to come forward as well. But also thirdly, Resurrection Year then connected with a whole bunch of other people for whom it wasn't about infertility, it was about a broken dream of not getting married or getting married and getting a divorce yeah. or not getting the dream art career or getting the dream career and losing it, all of those kinds of things. Mm. The feedback that came back from those readers was now that this has happened, 
Number one, I don't know who I am anymore. Mm. And number two, I don't know what I'm here on this earth to do. And so that's where the making of us really picks up is that I really kind of go deep into that because actually that was my journey. Mm. I come to the UK and things happened exactly as I expected. Uh, I wasn't getting invited to speak (laughs) at any conferences. Uh, Local BBC radio stations weren't returning my calls back then. Um, You know, uh, publishers were turning me down because they'd never heard of Sheridan Voisey. Who is he? You might have had a following in Australia. You're not going to have it here. (laughs) And here's what happened. I realised that as much as I had spent years talking about how important it is for us Christians to really base our lives on our identity as being children of God, Mm. I realised that it only was head knowledge largely and that what I was really basing my identity on was being a writer, speaker, and broadcaster. Mm, And when those three things were taken away for a period of time, as well as the ability to become a father, by the way, Mm. so I had four identities gone, what did I have left? Wow. And that, Davey, is the best moment to let this one most powerful truth in your life go deep into your soul. This is the moment. Because then once you get that deep inside, you say, you know what? Okay, maybe I'll never have a radio show again. Maybe no publisher will ever publish me again. Maybe I'll never speak in another event again. I have everything I've ever needed. And I have an identity that can't be taken away by success or failure or bad health or good health or death. I have the ultimate basis for a solid sense of self. And once you can be alone in your room and just be delighting in the Father's presence as a child of God, then you are able to go back out into the world and let those important but secondary identities be picked back up again. But they have to be secondary because if we keep on building our lives on those, this world is too fragile. Our sense of self will be rocked again. Right. We are children of God. Got to go deep on that. Wow. You know, like as you're, as you're sharing this, I mean, I'm trying to let the reality of that sit in and go, yeah, you know, it seems like the only true way that you can experience or that can be tested as to whether or not God is enough. The only true way that it can be tested as to whether or not you truly see yourself as a son or daughter of God, and that is your identity first and foremost, is if everything else gets stripped away. And then I ask the question of myself, I go, is there a way to know that without everything getting stripped away? (laughs) You know, like, is there... I'll choose that option. Yeah. yeah, Like, is there a way to bypass the, you know, the whole... (laughs) Like now I don't know who I am anymore. So now I have to, you know, and, and it's so, it's so interesting when you really dig underneath, because as much as, you know, we go, oh yeah, yeah. My identity is in Christ. My identity is in Christ. And we kind of, we, we kind of, you know, uh, we declare that we're not, we don't really know that unless we found ourselves in a situation like you have. Yeah. And you know, some people do get it. I just wasn't that kind of person. I had to go through that to really, to really get it. And now I've been kind of entrusted with like a a message that can really kind of hit home and can resonate because I kind of go, okay, well, he he did lose it. And now he can, so I don't have to. I, I can let me make some decisions and some choices that I will be intentional about building my sense of self on my identity as a child of God. Hmm. 
So I think I think well, that can be a little bit of an option B shortcut. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So now you know it's, it's almost like you've been to this. Uh, you, you've been to this destination. You've been to this. You know. Uh, this this island that nobody else has been to kind of thing. You know, I kind of see it in a metaphor and you've come back and you're like, Hey, let me, let me, sh- let me show you how to get the gold or the treasure of that island without having to take the treacherous journey that I did. I found a different route there. Well, what would you say if you were to overlay that metaphor onto this right here, what are some ways that we can, if I'm going to ask it more pointedly, what are some ways that we can decidedly say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to structure some things in such a way that I'm continually pursuing, putting my identity first in the Lord, you know, and maybe the motivation is like, we try to escape as much pain as possible, right? That we know that that's pain is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's part of, as we're talking, it's part of our sanctification process, but, but, you know, there is a, the, there, there is a desire of a, of a follower of Jesus to, when you are sober minded to go, but I really, truly, despite all the noise in this world, despite everything that's going, I really, truly just want my, my identity to be placed in who I am in Christ. So how do I achieve that? How do I get there? Okay. I'll give you some, some ideas then. Um, it's interesting. You talked about the metaphor of, you know, going to an Island and coming back. I mean, the whole of the, the making of us is actually based on a pilgrimage that my friend mm. DJ and I did. We went on a hundred mile walk together from a little Island called Lindisfarne, otherwise known as Holy Island in the North of England. It's kind of the birthplace of Christianity. And then we kind of walked our way down to Durham cathedral. And so we are on this journey and I'm journaling on this journey and then actually had about two or three years reflecting on that journey, which is really how the making of us came about. Mm. So there's conversations in that which are helping in this regard, but there's also some times that I'm wrestling with God saying, I don't know if I'm quite ready to base my whole sense of self on being a child of God. (laughs) So I think number one would be that allow yourself that there's going to probably be a wrestle here uh, and there's going to be a bit of a tug of war because we are so shaped, particularly American culture, less so in Britain, but it's still very much in all of our Western cultures, but very much I've noticed in American culture to very much define ourselves, um, particularly by a successful enterprise. That successful enterprise might be a family. Um, Most likely it'll be a career path or something. One of the things we love about you Americans is that you are so enterprising. You are the the nation of entrepreneurs. Uh, But of course, if you build your sense of self on that, at some stage there's going to be failure come and it's going to be shocked. So here's some little tips that I would give as a result of going through that journey and wrestling with it for really a few years, I would actually say. Uh, Number one, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is like the ultimate mission statement for our lives. Mm. He says, Paul says, uh, therefore, uh, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. That's our character. Mm. That's directly a reference to Exodus 34, where God appears to Moses and reveals who he is, you know, mm. uh, compassionate and gracious God, yeah. uh, slow, slow to anger, anger abounding, abounding in love. love. Yeah. 
all of those character traits, be imitators of God. So that's my calling is to grow in character as dearly loved children. It doesn't say as children of God. It says as dearly loved mm. children. This is where we go and bathe in the love of God. Yeah. And then number three, live a life of love. That's my mission. So whether it be in broadcasting, writing, or whether it be helping a person on the street down here, mm. one of my neighbours who is really nervous at the moment because her children are doctors and nurses working in London right on the front line of COVID, mm. if it's just being a support to her, I'm achieving the mission that I've been called to do. Oh, I cannot preach Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 enough these days. And the more that people get it, and the more that they just live in it, memorize it, repeat it after yourself every single day, you will find that start to recalibrate yeah. and so that you can live in that. Number two, I would say take regular social media fasts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wow. Get away from all of those voices that wow. are telling you to be this, do this, get off Instagram for a period of time with all of its shiny lifestyles that are basically calling to you saying, become like me, uh, get away from all the advertising that yeah. is in so incredibly slickly designed to create longing in us for the product so that we can be the person that they want us to be. Right. Get away from all of that so that you can just hear your father's voice. And number three, I would say just off the top of my head, I would say that when those difficult times do come, uh, to try and process them through the lens of being a child of God and saying, okay, okay, I've lost my job. I have lost my job. COVID has taken my job. What now? What is this doing in me? And so you might find that it's raising identity questions. It'll probably be raising anxiety questions about future and finance and things yeah. like that. But a journal is a great friend here, is simply journal it and pray about it and, and then counteract all of those feelings yeah. and those things with biblical truth and just kind of live in that. Mm. That's a little bit to help. Wow. You know, I kind of um, have a theory. I've been like kind of mulling around on it for the past, I don't know, maybe a, maybe a year or so, that everything that we go through is... Um, addressing identity. You know, every every uh, trial that we walk through, every um, hardship that we go through, uh, God wants to use it to kind of scrape the dross off and help us to understand who we are, you know? Um, and of course, you know, we talk about this a lot on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, that God doesn't cause evil to happen in our lives, but like a fantastic jujitsu artist, he uses that evil. He uses the momentum of that evil and he turns it around for good. And so he's going to do something really good and purposeful out of it. And, and my theory is that it is always addressing identity. And the reason that I have this theory shared in, and I want you to break apart this theory if you don't agree with it, or kind of help us, you know, kind of talk around it a little bit based on what you've been writing, if you do agree with it. The reason I have this theory is because when you look at the narrative of the people of Israel and the whole exodus was getting their identity out of this like, this like, um, uh, slave that, you know, they were slaves. That was who they were. They were, their identity was built around what they could produce. 
and he wanted to bring them into a place where their identity rested in who they were as children of God. But it took 40 years of struggling and trudging through the wilderness to strip back that old identity from them and to help them adopt this new identity. And so I just kind of see that as an overlay to a lot of our trials and and tribulations that we deal with, this this wandering around in the desert, that God is always going to use these things to address who we are and to try to bring us into a more fuller picture of who He is uh, and who we are in Christ. What are your thoughts on that? And I think you are spot on. Deuteronomy 8, we often think about, you know, God being a father, right? When we think of the various mm. metaphors about who God is, we, you know, God's a creator, yeah. A, a warrior and a judge and this and that. But, you know, the, the metaphor that we love most about God is, right, God is a father. Yeah. Where do we find it the first time? The very first time in Scripture God reveals himself as a father is in Deuteronomy 8, and it's a recounting of the story of the children of Israel mm. walking through the wilderness. Yeah. You are absolutely right. It's in the wilderness. It's when we're walking through the dry and dusty places and the Eagles are hovering around us waiting for right. some sort of roadkill to come and right. eat. You know, it's in those difficult times that God actually reveals something about himself as father. And if he's our father, well, what are we? We're his children. Yeah. So it's in those moments. You're absolutely right. Secondly, there's a biblical theologian named Klein Snodgrass, which I just think <laughs> is the best name in the world. Uh, wow. Klein Snodgrass. Uh, and he's written a book called Who God Says You Are or something along those mm. lines. It's a fairly recent book, and he makes exactly the point that you have just made. He says, ultimately, the whole of Scripture is ultimately a book about identity. Interesting. It's about us becoming image bearers. Wow. Uh, it's about us becoming children of God. It's about us taking on the character of God. It's about uh, becoming imitators of Christ. Mm. All of those things, it's all about identity. So you're on very good, both biblical and scholarly grounds there, my friend. <laughs> well, thank you, Sheridan. I appreciate that. Um, so, you know, with that as the lens, what as you kind of look back over the past several years and what God has been doing through this, um, and, and particularly lean in on uh, what God has done in you guys as a couple, because I know that so many uh so many marriages struggle through, they, they struggle in and of themselves when they're walking through infertility. And so I'm sure there were a lot of ups and downs, but, you know, obviously God's addressing personal identity issues in each one of you guys. And I don't, you know, want you to speak for your wife. She's not here to speak for, for herself, but, um, but for, for you to kind of address like what, what, what did it, what did it look like as you guys were kind of looking at your identity as a couple moving through these seasons? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I would say that there's probably still, you know, further work for us to do in that area. Um, we are always growing, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, there's a few things that, that, that we were able to put in place that stood us very well, and particularly for the people listening who are either going through this matter in particular or have friends who are. Um, you're absolutely right. The pressure that is put on a couple during that, that, that journey of infertility is horrendous, normally because of decision-making. Mm. One might say, oh, I'm just done with this. Let's just move on without children. Whereas the other one is saying, no way, I, I want to try everything else possible. Yeah, right. So you can often be on different pages. And often Marin and I were on different pages. In fact, I very easily say, and, and she knows it, and we've said it together publicly, I would have called the journey 
to an end five years earlier. Mm. I would have been more than happy to have finished it up earlier than that. She needed she needed to kind of work it through yeah. and try every avenue possible. So one thing is to recognize that that you're going to be on different pages and that is just the way it sometimes works. Um, number two, we made a decision to stay in the room <laughs> is it can be really easy to, particularly when things get so difficult and you're arguing about decisions and things like that to, you know, walk out of the room, slam the door. We made a decision as hard as it is, mm. we would stay on that couch, talk it through, pray it through and do whatever we could to arrive at a joint next decision. Yeah. Thirdly, we, we also made another really important decision and it came about as we were talking with an IVF counsellor and we were in this office and the IVF counsellor said, well, you know that this journey of IVF can really put pressure on a marriage. And we said, yes, we know. And we were thought actually at that stage she was talking about the drugs that the woman right. takes because the drugs basically hyperactivate the, mm. the reproductive system and then afterwards almost throw the woman almost into like a menopause, like, mm. you know, like a, a temporary one. Right. Um, you know, it just does horrendous things to to emotions and everything right, else. Right. And she said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're going to make the decision to call it a day, when you're going to do another round or not do another round. And Marin said, well, Sheridan and I have already talked about that and we've already decided that our marriage is more important than having a child mm. and that if ever it gets in the way of the marriage, then we'll bring the journey to an end. And would you believe at that point, the IVF counsellor literally, she slumped in her chair mm. And she said, I'm so glad to hear you say that because just yesterday a couple sat in your two seats and the wife said to me in front of the husband, if this doesn't work, if we don't have a child, our marriage is over. Wow. So we made that decision and I tell that to everywhere I go is just say, make that decision. Wow. You don't want a second loss, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, man. You know, what's interesting is um, I'm sitting here thinking about the person of Jesus, you know, and, and kind of going back to our previous, what we said earlier about everything kind of getting stripped away from you. And often we look at these times where everything is getting stripped away from us and we look at it through a Western lens. You know, we look at it through the dream that we've been conditioned to, uh, we've been conditioned to have the dream of the the house with the 2.4 kids and the dog and the white picket fence and the, you know, skyrocketing career and all of these things that that's kind of what we set out in life out of college. And that's where we're going. Mm -hmm. And when I think about those things um, and I think about the life of the person of Jesus, he never had any of those things. Right. He had a full life. <laughs> right. The fullest, the fullest, like nobody can sit here and say, well, Jesus's life was cut short. It was while, while he was crucified at a young age, right? We can't say he had half of a life. He had right. the fullest of life. And it's just, a, it's just an interesting thing when you start peeling all that stuff back. I mean, I'm just saying this because I'm reflecting on what your words right now. And I'm thinking about like, man, that this is, uh, this is what it's all about. This is about what does it look like to really be content in Christ and taking on the life of Christ. Yeah. Hmm. And a part of that is also then seeing where 
God takes you as a result mm. of going through your wilderness journey, as a result of going through the loss, as a result yep. of losing the dream. Is that this is where we've discovered to be, for God to be very, very clever, mm. is that he has taken our story and it has brought life to so many people. And this is, again, this is not of our doing. I didn't want to go public about these things. This is not, nothing to do with a plan of mine. To the point where I was talking to, there's a there's a Carmelite monastery not far up from yeah. from where we live, and they have these little rooms that you can rent out for a day for private prayer and things. And I went up there and I was having a day of prayer. And about halfway through the morning, I realised, you know what, Sheridan, you do things too often by yourself. You need to talk to somebody. So I <laughs> I put in you know a request and I said, oh look, you know, is is one of the one of the monks. Right. Is that what you call them? Do, do you they, call them monks? Do they talk do to anybody? Can I visit with them? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so very soon, Father Liam was on my my doorstep and uh, we went to a room. We started uh, talking and this was fairly early when we'd moved over here to the UK. And and uh, so we started with prayer and then I said, oh, look, I just, I just don't know what my calling in life is anymore. I, I had it so clear for 15 years. I was supposed to be a writer and a broadcaster and everything. And um, he listened to me and he said, so you're not broadcasting here in the UK? And at the time I wasn't. And I said, no, I don't even know if I'm supposed to. And he said, ah, and how's your marriage? Mm. And I thought, Liam, <laughs> I, I'm not here to talk about my marriage. I want you to give me some sort of holy guidance about my yeah. calling in life. Yeah. Anyway, I went and I talked about the marriage and I said, you know what, Liam, we're in a good place. You know, mm. we've been able to navigate that 10 years and we've been able to come and we've got a really really good strong enjoyable marriage and a big smile came on his father fatherly face mm. and he said oh he's irish oh i'm so glad to hear that mm. <laughs> he said sheridan commitment yeah. covenant is the core of the gospel mm. god's commitment to us our commitment to him our commitment to each other he said, you and Merrin have walked through those 10 years without the commitment breaking. Yeah. He said, oh, the world needs to see that. They get so few examples of it. Wow. You may not realize the impact you're having on other people already beyond what you do. We kept on talking a little bit later on. And uh, he said, and you know, he pried into what I was doing and, and, and the Resurrection Year book had come out and I started telling him about some sort of the, the responses that I'd had yeah. with single people finding hope and childless couples, you know, uh, and people actually quite literally, maybe this is for another another podcast, but <laughs> people literally not jumping off bridges and ending their lives as a result of listening to the message. Wow. wow. And he said, Sheridan, do you see what is happening there? He said, the lack of a birth in your life is birthing life in others. Wow. I mean, tweet that one out. I mean, that is wow. good stuff. Yeah. A lack of a birth in your life is birthing life in others. And I, I think this might be a, a note of hope for people who yeah. are going through their difficult times is that, yes, first port of call is to go deep in your identity as a child of God. But second is that next verse in Ephesians 5, you know, and live a life of love. And you may find, in fact, I, I almost defy you to, to prove it untrue, that as a result of you going through what you've gone through mm. by walking with God through that, he will have been doing a whole bunch of stuff in you and he will recycle it, which is another yep. word for redeem, recycle that 
into service to others. And he will give you an anointing, which is a word I don't use a lot in other contexts because it's such a church word, but there's something wonderfully theologically mm-hmm. so rich, rich about it. He gives you a new anointing of his Holy Spirit to do something new and creative and flourishing for other people as a result of you going through what you've gone through that could otherwise never have come. Yep. And that is the redemptive cleverness of our God. Wow. Wow. It's almost like that that uh, verse that where Jesus says, unless a single seed, unless a single grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. Right. But if it dies, if there is this tragedy that happens, um, if there is this, you know, lack of life that takes place in your life, if that happens, then it can flourish into a tree. And that tree yeah. can provide nourishment for others and it can provide shelter and shade and it can provide life that continues to grow exponentially. Hmm. That's it. Wow. That's it. Wow. Sheridan, there are a few people that I think I could sit down and talk to for hours and hours and hours, but you are one of them. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm right back at you. It's and, been a really enjoyable conversation and, and I felt like God's been a part of it. Well, I, I do too. And I just appreciate you taking the time to, to speak into our community and, Fill them with hope, even though right now many of them probably feel like their hope is deferred or they're trying to search for those uh, little tendrils of um, redemption that's going on in their life or recycling. As you say, I love that term recycling. And so they're searching for it. And I just, uh, I appreciate so much you being willing to share and, and uh, be vulnerable and live, live that out. Um, but man, is there anything else that you would, you want to encourage our listeners with before we, before we sign off, man, I just feel like I could st- let you just you know, preach for forever for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, some, something that might be helpful um, is at the end of The Making of Us, yeah. I wrote this creed mm. and it was kind of pulling together. It's probably about five years work. It's kind of pulling together all the lessons that I learned during that period of time. Right. And I put it into a creed and I actually read it regularly and I could read that out to you actually. That's, that'd be great. Yeah. We'd love that, it. That actually might put bring the expl- explanation, exclamation point people. on this. Okay. So I went into a cafe and I kind of just prayed and just said, Lord, everything that you've taught me over these last few years, I want to capture it mm-hmm. in something that I can read and just ground myself in the things that mattered most. And, and this is basically what, what came out. The hand that spins the galaxies brought me into being. The one who holds the stars has made me his own. I am God's child. My life is rich. My days are sacred. I am held by a love that's wider and higher than the farthest edges of this expanding universe. I'm a pilgrim in this world in search of wisdom and wonder. I will take new adventures and follow God into the unknown. What I achieve is not as important as the person I become. So I will seek to imitate the Neil Pierced one. I will step in the direction of my strengths and talents. They are spirit-given tools for my God-given tasks. I will pay attention to my persistent aspirations. They could be the whispers of God. I will serve all I can and walk deeply with a few. I will aim for great things, but leave my legacy to God. The path is long and the terrain at times hard. Still, I will not wish for another's life. I will take my place, play my part. Something important will be missed if I don't, for the hand that spins the galaxies wants me here. Wow. <laughs> Remarkable, man. 
Well, Sheridan, thank you so much. I would encourage everybody to go pick up uh, anything that Sheridan writes, but particularly these last two books that we've referenced, The Resurrection Year and The Making of Us. And uh, again, thank you so much for spending time with us. Absolute joy. Let's do it again. Let's do it. Well, I told you that conversation would not disappoint. So good. I mean, Sher- Sheridan Voicey. Wow. That's all we need to say. Wow. We're coming for you, Sheridan. We're we coming, coming to the burden baby <laughs> to hang out with you. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Sheridan, for sharing your insight into everything that you guys have walked through. This has been so helpful, so helpful. Hey, if this has been helpful for you, we'd love for you to go and rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. This certainly helps us, and it also helps other people as they uh, begin to find our podcast. They're looking for different ways that they can find hope and healing and whatever they're going through. And so as you rate it and as you put some reviews on the podcast, it helps it to climb in the charts, gets more exposure. So please do that. It would be a huge, huge uh, favor to us. We'd appreciate it so much. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. We do some giveaways and all sorts of fun things over there. So we'd love for you to follow us. You can follow me at Davey Blackburn and Aubrey at Obsamp, A-U-B-S-A-M-P. We'd also like to just give a shout out to Sleeping at Last for providing the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can find his music anywhere you find your music. Next week, we have an interview with Nick and Cassie Brown. Aubrey, these are friends of yours. I know you helped to get us connected with them. And their story is one that is very relevant, uh, something that many people are dealing with right now because it actually happens to to be about uh, the COVID-19 virus and what this couple has endured in the midst and in the wake of this uh, pandemic. Hmm. And so you're going to definitely want to lean into this one next week. Why don't, before we sign off, you listen to this clip from my conversation with Nick and Cassie Brown. So they bring me back into the ER room and slide the door shut. And we're kind of waiting on the results um, and then as we're waiting, we kind of look out because the, the doors are all glass. So we can see into the ER, like the, the clinical area. And we notice that things are starting to get a little chaotic in that area. People are running around. Uh, there's chaos. Um, somebody walks up to the door that I am, uh, to the room that I am in, and they kind of push it shut to make sure it's sealed nice and tight. And we both look at each other and I'm like, something is going on no idea what it is, not knowing that it was us.